What is up, you beautiful human? Hello and welcome to the Raw, Real and Vulnerable podcast with me, Beck Antonucci. I am absolutely beyond ecstatic <laughs> to introduce you to this incredible woman who is Carrie Azuma. I met Carrie or first found out about who Carrie is years ago in a course that I enrolled in, literally the course that changed the trajectory of my life forever. It's called Stretch 22 with Preston Smiles. And in this course, there was a coach named Carrie Azuma teaching this coaching distinction, one of my favorite distinctions to work with called standards. And I literally fell in love with this woman as she was teaching and facilitating. And I became almost like, it was like she was the Britney Spears of the personal development space for me. Like I felt like this woman was famous and my inner child <laughs> just felt so excited to see her on screen. Well, full circle moment, a few years later, we end up coaching in Stretch 22 together. And as much as I know that we're equals and peers and sisters and friends, I also saw this woman as the fucking rock star and my inner child lights on fire when she's around me. She's also incredibly empathetic, understanding, and full of so much wisdom. And today is all about the woman, the high-performing woman, the mother, and the nervous system. So for any person who feels like they're really trying and striving and feeling like doing more will be the thing that creates the fulfillment that we all yearn for rather than the nervous system regulation being the thing that actually allows us to be present to everything that we are creating in our world, well, my love, this podcast is for you. For me right now, to let you into my life, as you all know, I've recorded a few of these podcasts in advance for me to keep my laptop in Perth whilst I'm over in Europe. I'm currently on my way to leave Croatia and jump on a plane over to the Amalfi Coast. I'm super excited for this trip in particular because I'm just about to leave my friends who I married and our circle of friends who we have now traveled with for the past two weeks. We went through Greece and we went through Croatia and now I'm getting on a plane with my beautiful sister and we are meeting two girlfriends over in the Amalfi. This is a super meaningful experience to me. I know that I touched on in the past how important relationships are to me. One of the girlfriends who I am meeting in the Amalfi Coast started off as a client of mine. Uh, a year and a half ago, we worked together and she had such an incredible experience and it was truly such an enriching moment to be her coach. And then I shared with her the community that I was involved in and the courses and the mentors who have crossed my path, who have profoundly impacted my life, including Preston, Smiles, and Stretch 22. And so this beautiful woman, Anna, has then entered this community of mine, as if I own the community, it's my community. But you know, when you love something and a group of people so much that you, I desire for all people to be able to have this experience and see if it resonates for them as well. Well, that's what I do. When someone comes into my world, once they're complete with me and my experience, because I don't think that we're meant to work with someone forever. I love to share what has worked with me and the worlds that really light me on fire with the people that I love. And so I shared with Anna my Preston Smiles world. And now she's a beautiful part of that world as well. She's a coach also in Stretch 22 now. And she is meeting me in the Amalfi. So we have spent so much time together online 
in Zoom calls, in meetings, on different communication channels and platforms. And tomorrow I get to hug her in person and share wine and dinner and beautiful experiences over on the Amalfi Coast, which I have never, ever been to before ever in my life. So this is going to be a real highlight moment for me. And I can't wait to give her just the most big, massive squeeze and introduce her to my sister and share her with you. And I can't wait for you to jump over onto my Instagram and see all the photos. It's just going to be such a wonderful time. And I hope you enjoy hearing a little bit about it. Enjoy this episode. Carrie is a wealth of magic and wisdom. Good morning and welcome to this incredible woman who is sitting in front of me. We just had a little tech issue, so I really literally just dropped in my inner child sitting here with essentially her idol who she fangirled for three years, Carrie Azuma. Good morning. (laughs) Welcome. And I'm so happy for you to be here with me right now. Oh, good morning, Beck. You know, the pleasure is all mine. I'm so excited to be here as well. So Carrie, for anyone that doesn't know who you are or why I would fangirl you so hard to the extent that the first time I connected with Carrie, I'm like, this is a famous person in my eyes that I'm about to meet. It's <laughs> actually changed my life and she doesn't even know that she's changed my life. And I'm about to spend four months with this person. My nervous system was so excited. For anyone who doesn't know why that was my experience, can you let my audience know who you are, where you're from and what you do in the world? <laughs> Sure. Although I don't know if I can quite describe you in the way that you do, but I'll do my best. Yes, I'm <laughs> my version of Britney Spears in the personal development world. And I'm 10 years old. Well, it's just because I'm old. I've been here a long time. <laughs> That's why I've been in this industry for about 10 years. And yes, my name is Carrie Zuma. I have been on whew, so many different roads in this work. But the one you're speaking to is a program we coached together called Stretch 22 with Preston Smiles, which is a phenomenal program. Mm-hmm. And it was such a pleasure to get to know you in that program. And I heard just as much about you as you did about me, just so you know, before I started. But I am a coach. Well, I don't even know if I'm a coach. I'm like a healer slash priestess slash magician. <laughs> I, don't know. I don't even know what to call myself, but I think the best thing to call myself is an excavator because I sit in these spaces with women now where I am just basically doing nervous system surgery mm-hmm. and supporting women to really step into self-leadership in a way that leadership has never been defined before. I've worked in leadership for 10 years. I mentored under my amazing friend, mentor, coach, Scott Cody, who has an institute called Institute for Embodied Wisdom, Mm -hmm. which is actually where I met Preston and Alexi. I was coaching them in that program. And then I went to work with them after I had my son. And I had my own business as well, but I had this huge... like break in reality when I had my son, just a really intense experience, postpartum depression. And that kind of catapulted me into going from the leadership world where I was coaching executives and entrepreneurs into coaching mothers for about five years. I worked with mothers in leadership. And then I shut my business down during the pandemic and just decided to go to the biggest edge possible that I could, which was to actually stay home with my children and not work, which was the hardest year and a half of my life. (laughs) I mean, I love my kids, but I, wow, that is the biggest place of work in my life is mothering. And Mm -hmm. there's a whole story behind that. But it was so beautiful and perfect because it actually helped me realize the piece that I'd been missing for so long when I was working with women and mothers was really 
getting into the underpinnings of the nervous system. I felt like I kept overriding them in some way with leadership. And I'm like, I see them succeeding, but I don't see them settling within themselves. Mm-hmm. And that, that really bothered me. And it's part of the reason I shut down my my corporation. There was some place I felt out of integrity. And then when I came back into work, I just knew like nervous system, nervous system. And I soft landed into stretch 22 again and started coaching in there. And then all the right teachers came. And from there on, I just started studying with my mentor, Alicia Halpin. And now I'm working with women in my program, Nervous System and Leadership. And I have a few one-on-one clients where we spent nine months getting into the depths of their nervous system. And it's mm. just probably the most powerful work I've ever done. And I feel all the work I've done before this has led to this work. And I'm obsessed with it. <laughs> I feel like it's really what women need now. So that's, I guess, the long and short of where I've been and where I'm at. I love it. I love it. I could ask a million questions. So just for anyone listening that has never entered the kind of worlds that you and I play around in and don't understand what a nervous system is, why we would want to support it, why we want to do the work to support it, what is the nervous system? It's a great question. Well, our nervous system is just literally that, a system of nerves that are a response to many states in our body. So mm-hmm. when we have an emotional response, our nervous system is reacting in a particular way. And of course, we sort of know the basics, right? The flight, fight, or freeze responses. But then there's also a social nervous system where we can do work with fit in or fawn. And so there's all these little pieces in which we sort of play in all of those worlds. And it's not like the fight or flight is always bad. There's a healthy sympathetic nervous system where when we feel motivated or in the pocket or, you know, we're taking charge of something. But then there's the, the shadow side of those, which is, you know, wanting to hide and getting into extreme stress and overwhelm and fight. And and the same with the freeze response. It's like, that's the parasympathetic. You can have a healthy parasympathetic where you know how to relax and you know how to be chill and mellow and in a serene, rested state in a really healthy way. And then there's the other place, which is freeze, where we are so overwhelmed even by the flight or fight response that we have no move. We can't even get to flying or fighting. We're just like stopping because there's no other safe place to go. And then this other nervous system, the social nervous system, is really interesting because it's this other aspect that is a little bit newer. Stephen Porges is the one that introduced introduced us into the world. Well, not into the world, but into the atmosphere of people and made it a little more relatable. And that's the fit in or fun response and how much our nervous system actually plays into our social cues and our social belonging and our social awareness and just all of those big pieces that actually run into our lives. Do you feel like nervous systems become a little bit of a buzzword on the internet now? Definitely. (laughs) Yes, I do. I mean, when I first got into personal development, say 10 years ago, I wanted to accept myself, break free from shame, make money, learn how to make money, be confident. I didn't know what the nervous system was. So it wasn't until three and a half years ago that it started realizing the exact woman that you described, the striver, the doing, 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 achieving external success. And that's quite a lot of the women that come into my space. How would she know that, oh my God, I've worked to accept myself, work to create in my life, work to perform, work to whatever, but my nervous system, how would she know that that's her nervous system that doesn't feel good and that her nervous system is still overriding her life? Oh, yeah. There's so much I could say about this. So (laughs) it really depends on where the strive and all of that's coming from. 
you know, when we're looking at nervous system response. So I am a big striver and a big achiever. <laughs> and I've had that in my life, a lot okay. of perfectionism. <laughs> so I know that world. And this is why, for me, a big reason why I combine the word leadership with nervous system is so important because another buzzword out there mm. right now is feminine leadership. And the women are coming back and feminine leadership. If women were leaders, everything would be great. All of those things that are also coming into the atmosphere really kind of play into this for me because so much of how we've been taught as women to succeed and be successful just in general has come from some sort of masculine principle. And a lot of the masculine principles that we've learned, you know, some of them are great. But as women, the way that we work actually has to be very different from that style of like rigidity and push. When I hear burnout, I feel like burnout has also become a buzzword on the internet. Yeah. I never hear men talking about, and it could just be my relevancy radar and what I see online following potentially more women than men. But I'm yet to see a man really go deep on burnout as opposed to high-performing women. And I feel like burnout is a common theme in a lot of posts that they share. Yeah. And I don't think that's necessarily a buzzword. I think that's just the truth. <laughs> I think there's a lot of women burning out. I think that that style of masculine leadership hasn't really been sustainable. And it, it can mm -hmm. really sort of crush into our own nervous system. And a lot of that, when I was talking about the fit in or the fawn, you know, as far as what leadership looks like, we've had to really fit into the model of leadership in order to be accepted as women being leaders in the world. That was literally going to be my next question of why do you feel we took on this masculine version of leadership that's now stressed our nervous system out so much that now we're talking about things like burnout. Why did we adopt that style in the first place? Why do you feel? I think, well, I think there's always a, a pendulation. It's like we came from like the 50s, right, where we weren't really fully expressed as women. And then we had the whole women's rights and women empowerment in the 70s who like had the same rights as men. So the way that that translated, I think, became a lot about being like men and leading like men and being strong. Even the words that are out there around like boss babes and bad bitches and all those things are so hard. You know, it's so hard and so edgy. And there's not a lot of soft and a lot of room and a lot of space. And it's even a mirror for me for the coaching industry of how the coaching industry has brought those aspects into like the push or the override or willing someone through, like asking them to use willpower to move through something versus going deeper into the healing of the subconscious and of the way that our nervous system has been tied up because everyone has a different nervous system based on their experiences and historical discourse. They all have some way that they learned how to regulate between zero and seven years old. So whatever they learned, however they learned to provide safety, that will mimic throughout their life. So for me, everyone has sort of like a baseline, right, of how they feel safe. For me, I am safe when I control. And that was how mm -hmm. I found like power and safety when I was a child. It's what was modeled for me. So then now, as I grew up into an adult, the only way that I knew how to regulate my nervous system was to go into like a control mode. Like I felt good and I felt safe when I was controlling. However, control was robbing so much from my life. Like it was robbing joy. It was robbing alignment. It was creating comparison. It was robbing truth. It was all of these pieces. So in the nervous system work, what I help women do is I start to unravel and untangle and dismantle and just sort of pull the cords and the threads of the way that they sort of knitted this big sweater, you know, into how they run and how they produce safety. And really what we're always working in is 
what safeties are running the show, the safeties you're choosing and that you're actually aligned with or the safeties that are defaulted from the way that you survived growing up. I love that. So when you say that um, control and worry was taking the joy and the alignment from your life, how do you work on that when control and worry is what you knew to regulate your nervous system to create space for everything that you desire? Yes. The first answer I have to that is very slowly. (laughs) I was about to say also, you know how everyone thinks we're going to get there and that there even exists? Right. Is that even true? Do you feel like you're there or is it a work in progress? Oh, no, I'm definitely practicing it right now. Full on practicing. I'm still in the process of like dismantling. And it takes, I mean, it takes, my mentor told me that it actually takes like 10 years to fully rewire a nervous system. So it's not like we're in the game of like, I'm going to rewire my nervous system. Everything's going to be okay. <laughs> but it's more just starting to do a six-week accelerator program. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I'll toss you in my six-weeker. I'll just like put you in a coma. (laughs) (laughs) I'm kidding. The the way that it's really done is it's so counter to the way that I have always operated, which is fast. And fast is safe Mm -hmm. for me. And like I said, control is safe for me. And there is this aspect of my nervous system that if I just keep running and moving quickly and like chopping down the trees as I go, boom, 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 then I am winning and I'm moving and I can just call that success. But what actually happens in that space for me, what is true in that space is that I see all of the things that I've chopped down, you know, turn into something, but then I've moved past them so quickly that I'm like, oh, I missed them. And so I'm not actually letting life in. I'm not actually present to life as it is. I'm constantly in orientation of the future. And my nervous system has learned to be very comfortable in that. So what my work has been has to really go back and find the little bridges and pieces of where that began. It's interesting because I almost find nervous system work closer to therapy than coaching. But not at all like therapy, (laughs) because it's also working on the subtle body, the energy body, and the Mm -hmm. subconscious body. So a lot of the nervous system work is working the subconscious domain. It's not like something you physically go out and do, or there are practices, but it's not like there's a regimen or a rigid thing to follow or an action you can take in order to flip it. And this is why like my one-on-one clients are minimum nine months. Because it takes that long to get into the underpinnings of their nervous system to find what those slow patterns are. And so this is something that's been really interesting for me is letting go of like, oh, I want to produce results and I want to produce them quickly. And I want that to define how successful I am as a coach, which is such a trap for so many coaches. And even Mm -hmm. in my group program right now, which is only six months, (laughs) which I feel like is really short, I'm like, wow, I feel like I'm moving so fast for these women. And I'm like restructuring the second half to just be so much simpler because like the first three months, I just have to get them in their body to actually feel Mm. things. And most of us are moving so fast that we can't even feel or tap into what is actually real. And so it's really bringing women into, and this is kind of all over the place, I feel like, but bringing them into how do they courageously live their values from a place that feels the most real and the most true. And in order to do that, it's like taking down all these subconscious walls and like pulling those out in order to really see that all these protectors that you built to help you survive are your defaults and they don't work for you anymore. So now we have to build, Mm -hmm. we have to take this safety, your protector, and put it down gently. And then we have to start building other little safeties 
that get to support you instead of that default protector. So it's really moving from these default places of survival into like true living. And in Mm -hmm. order to do that, we have to have a system that can produce safety. And so that's why for me, it's I've had a little bit of a breakup with the way that I used to coach because I used to kind of call people out or push them into something. And I realized that when someone is in freeze or someone's in flight and you do that, what they'll do is they'll override that response in order to sort of gain approval or feel like they're succeeding or to make the move because they're so desperate to win. And then whatever that win is, it'll become an illusion because it's built on willpower versus true safety. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? That makes so much sense. I understand it completely. Are you feeling challenged to cultivate true self-acceptance from within? Are you feeling a deep desire to express yourself authentically? I know that online self-love coaches make this sound so easy. And my love, I am here to tell you that whilst it can be challenging, it can also be deeply enriching and highly rewarding, but only if you have the right tools. To give back to my raw, real and vulnerable community, I'm going to give you an exclusive price to access my newly released online book, The 7 Steps to Self-Acceptance. I've gone full back in this book, so this really isn't just a book. This is 67 pages of life-changing possibility. It's essentially a short, self-paced transformational course where I take you through my seven-step signature system that has supported myself and hundreds of women worldwide to break free from shame and unlock their fullest self-expression. Each pillar is cleverly communicated in an easy-to-understand fashion so you feel empowered to go out into your own life and take aligned action. Each pillar comes with an easily implementable aligned action task, which will support you in creating positive, effective change. So if you're ready to reclaim your personal power and cultivate true self-acceptance from within, then use the link in the show notes below, as well as your exclusive raw, real and vulnerable access code and grab your online copy of the seven steps to self-acceptance today. I'd love to know, going back a few steps, the trees that you cut as you're going through your journey and not even being able to notice what happened. What did that literally tangibly look like in your world? Oh man, the best example I can think of was when I was coaching mothers for however many years. I think it was five total. But when I had postpartum depression, I remember like just sitting in my rocking chair with my baby, just feeling out of my mind and saying, I will never let a woman feel this alone again. I'll never let a woman feel this alone again. This is my new mission. And it was like saddled and anchored in me. Mm. And that's kind of what catapulted me into working so much with women and rites of passage and their birth. I feel like I did really beautiful work at that time. But (laughs) I was so consumed with getting it right because it meant, and it came from a good place. Like it meant so much to me to heal these women, like to really allow the taboo of motherhood to be present and for them to feel okay about that and to like see them get to another side of something was so important to me in my heart. And because it was so important, what felt comfortable in my nervous system was doing it perfectly was getting it right, was being the best. And those are the things that made me feel safe growing up. And what was modeled for me as well, it's how my mother regulated. So a lot of the times we mimic a regulation of one of our parents. And so I started signing up for all the things and 
going into debt and paying for all of the software and hiring an assistant before I really had the money to do it. And I just did all of these things. And then I built this big kind of corporation. It seemed like a veneer on the outside, like it was working. And I would get all this praise from the women I was working with and I would hear nothing. Like I couldn't let in those wins at all. I was just like, what's next? What do I do next? What do I do next? And I was in this exasperated state. And essentially, it's why I closed my business down. Because I got to a point where I remember I had just had my daughter, my second child, and I was trying to figure out how to create a membership for mothers that I had dreamed about making. And I was so burned out and uninspired that I was like, forget it. And then I had this illusion, this story which is, I call this the judge when our protector comes up. I had this judge on my shoulder. It was like, the coaching industry is ruined. It's all BS. You know, I started judging that because I didn't trust my truth anymore. I didn't just listen to, hey, I'm not aligned with the way I'm teaching or something's missing. I had to make something else wrong or something Mm -hmm. else better than something in order to stay safe because that's what a state of perfectionism I was in. So All of the retreats, all of the beautiful things I created for those mothers that I feel like was great work, didn't take any of it in. I still look back at that time and it just feels like a blur. And I still have mothers from that time who are in my circle who follow me. One of them is my support coach (laughs) in my current program, but I just breezed past it. And I'm having a completely different experience now of like really feeling settled in the work and seeing the beauty and the passion and really just, I don't know, like commingling with my women in like such a different way and letting it in, letting life happen, letting it be present and not going into what's next or what did I do not do? And I don't play the comparison game half, not even three quarters as much as I did. It'll pop up here and there. And the appreciation and the validation and the praise and the gratitude that comes your way, do you feel like you really get to anchor into it and receive it? I do feel that way. And one other thing I also do with that, though, is I don't base whether my work is good on that anymore. I don't say, Mm. oh, if they give me the good feedback, I'm succeeding. I just Mm. follow my nose and say, if they didn't get the experience they wanted, then that doesn't mean that this isn't right or good because someone could have a shit experience of it because it might not be the right thing for them or they may not be ready or they may not like my style. And I think there's a space I get to let that be okay too. And I think that's also a difference is that I don't lean on that because that would be playing into the perfectionism more, if that makes sense. Like, okay, I did it. I'm getting it right. I'm getting it right. (laughs) So I do try to take it in. And that's such an incredible place to go, don't you think? Like, what would you say to a woman? How would she say anchored to her truth, regardless of what the external world reflects back? Uh, For example, I have a client, we just had a call yesterday. She has incredibly successful business and she's created a scenario of potentially one person in five years may potentially put up Mm. a bad Google review. But 
an incredible business, five years, incredible success. This hasn't even happened yet, but the story is it could happen. How do you stay anchored? And this is a common theme that I've seen the past three weeks with my clients. What if one person says this about my coaching business, my beauty business, my XYZ business, that one person's thoughts, feelings, beliefs can shatter my entire world and my identity in that moment. How do you stay anchored to your truth regardless of feedback? I feel like that's a big question for that situation because where I would go is, A, what's important to know about the nervous system is it can only regulate in real time. It can track time. Like your nervous system is tracking time. So if you're going into the future, there's nowhere out there that your nervous system can regulate. So if you start looking toward what you want to control out there and how you want those outcomes to go, then it'll start producing this sense of panic because your nervous system's like, I don't know what's out there. It's not real. Like it's not present right now. And so there's nothing I can do for your body Mm. out there. Your body doesn't exist in the future. So I'm here. So it's Mm. now I'm in a fight or flight response because I'm anticipating this, but there's nothing that my body can actually do to ground into that because there's no way for it to be like, okay, well, we're not there. So I can't do anything. So I would be curious in that situation to just find out what is really blocking the presence of, let's say, I'm trying to think of an example. Well, even yourself for an example, saying so anchored to your truth, like a woman comes into your world and does your six months program, your nine months program. Some of them complain and say, Carrie Azuma is the woman to go to change my entire life. And then you have another woman who's like, mm, it was nice. Like it didn't do anything for me. It was a nice experience. How do you say so rooted in your worth and how you feel about yourself, regardless of the woman who says, oh my God, Carrie Azuma, she is fangirling, changed my life, supported <laughs> me through standards to change my relationship with my eating disorder and food, or just like, it was nice. How do you just say anchored in? It doesn't matter either way. Well, one thing I don't do is I don't bypass what that actually makes me feel. So if that woman said, oh, it was nice, or she was okay, and that makes me feel sad or upset or less than, I go full into, oh my God, this is making me feel so sad. I'm feeling like I'm not producing results. I'm a fraud. Like I might just be like, okay, full acceptance of what's showing up. And I think what a lot of people might do is they might deflect that truth and make a story about it. So the protector might come up. And when the protector comes up, it it usually comes up in the guise of the judge or the victim, right? So it might be like, oh my God, I'm a victim to this woman because she's upset and I'm not good enough or whatever. Or it might go into the judge and I'd go into the judge. I'm, I'm more prone to the judge, right? To protect myself. So I might say like, oh, she doesn't know what she's talking about. She hardly showed up. She didn't do the work. You know, I can make all of these stories, but that would be a waste of time for me because there's nothing I can do to actually change or control the way that she's showing up or what her experience is. Now I could go back to her and say, you know, I could care about her assessments in the regard that I might want to know like what was her experience so that I can grow. So I might say to her like, hey, just saw that, you know, replied this way. Just curious about what your experience was and where, you know, what fell apart. And and then I think at that point I would be able to discern like where my growth could have been, where her growth could have been. But the first thing I would do is to go, oh my God, this makes me feel like shit. (laughs) Oops, sorry. (laughs) Oh my God, swearing is so welcome on here. Okay. (laughs) We all know fuck is my favorite swear word. So you go for it, Harry and Zuma. You say shit. Okay. All right. But yeah, I would go straight into that. And I think what we do sometimes, especially as coaches, we make what we feel a problem. Like, oh, we shouldn't feel like this. We're coaches, right? Oh, we need to rise above this. We're more conscious than this. 
But then that completely diminishes our humanity. It completely diminishes Mm -hmm. the fact that we have a spectrum of emotion and that we actually have the capacity and the ability to trust ourselves to be in that spectrum and to pendulate between sadness and relaxation and anger and joy. And so when I allow myself to go fully in, I do the same thing with my kids, right? Like if I'm putting my daughter to bed and she's freaking out and I'm getting frustrated and then I get mad at myself for getting frustrated... I stop and I go inside and I go, this is really hard. This is so hard. This is the hardest job. I know I'm not the only mom who's experiencing this right now. And this shit is fucking hard now that we're cussing. (laughs) It's like really hard. And then the more I allow that, the more soothed my nervous system is because what we do to regulate our nervous system best is to meet the emotion. So really Mm. standing in your truth is about meeting every emotion that comes up and letting it be real. Not overriding it, Mm -hmm. not bypassing it, not spiritually bypassing it, not walking right by it, right? And this doesn't mean you have to be a victim and like, oh, my life's so hard (laughs) because people also have that story about this. It's literally just about permission of allowing what's here, you know? How do you, how would someone meet their emotions? Say someone cuts you off in traffic or you're in the coffee shop and you see your ex-boss from five years ago or you seeing your ex-boyfriend from two weeks ago with a new girl on the street and your emotion floods your body. How would someone who doesn't know how to meet their emotion, how would they meet their emotion in those instances? It's literally as simple as just checking in. If it were me and it was overwhelming my system to be in a space with someone like that, I would remove myself from that space and I would go, and this is like a lot of how I regulate, is I go into a space and I check in with, okay, what's here? Is it anger? Is it sadness? Like, what is the belief I'm feeling right now? And then just mother myself. Can I soften around this feeling? Can I soften this hard brick in my heart right now? Can I soften and smooth the edges and just let the brick be there? but let it be soft instead of hard? And can I really find a way to soothe myself in that moment? Like maybe I just have to say, oh, Carrie, oh, it's so hard to be in the dating world and to feel rejected. That's a really hard thing as an adult. And I'm sorry that's happened to you. And it doesn't have to mean anything, but I'm sorry, it's hard. And I'm just gonna allow this to be hard. And I've got, I'm getting this from the Mindful Self-Compassion branch from Kristen Neff, who I love. It's like the soften, soothe, and allow. It's just a really simple three-step process of letting all of those emotions run through, but mothering, mothering. And so much of nervous system work is parenting yourself. It's self-mothering. It's self-fathering. It's really going back to that inner child and saying like, mm, that's so hard. Yes, I'm holding you. 40-year-old Carrie has got you. We will get through this. And just having that initial check-in is so big because I guarantee so many people go straight to the judge. That fucking girl is with him. Are you kidding? You know, (laughs) which is very natural. It's not that you have to be perfect, right? I think in that scenario, judge and critic would be so like judge what I'm seeing in that moment. And then once I remove myself in a critic, like what was it about me? Was I not pretty enough, skinny enough, blonde enough? for what did she have that I didn't? And then sitting rather than what I love about what you just shared is like obviously removing yourself from the environment. If you're in the coffee shop and they're there and that's feeling like an overwhelming experience, removing yourself so that you can actually go and meet yourself sitting in the car and just asking like, what emotion is present for me? Maybe it's feeling... And so important not to go to the fix, right? To be like, okay, I'm going to make this okay by saying that I am better than this, right? Instead, no, no. 
like your nervous system will be like, but I'm not better than this. You know, it'll just like the monster inside will get bigger and it'll be like, shh, quiet, we're better than this, right? And instead, it's just really about going like, ah, yeah, I hear you. I see you. I see you. That hurts. Uh, I love you. I mean, I wish I knew this when I was 19. My journey was around being bullied and being assaulted by a partner. And I never met any of those emotions. I never thought, wow, I just really wanted to fit in and I wanted my best friend to love me and have friends at school. I didn't want to break up with that boyfriend. I felt deeply ashamed of feeling so unworthy that someone would hurt me like that and still wanting to be with that person because I loved him. So instead of being like, okay, this is what I'm feeling. These are the emotions that I have. I was like, well, I feel rejected and not good enough. And now I need to fix that. I'm going to go to the gym. And that was the stem of a 10-year journey. I had no idea that I was running from those two experiences. No idea what a nervous system was, just the fixer is going to fix this somehow and it's either going to be money or Instagram or my body or just something outside of myself that will make me feel better for those experiences. Yeah. And that might be pointing to like your baseline, which could be I'm safe when I'm strong or I'm safe when I have it together. And that can be such a detrimental place to be because then to be safe, you have to always be strong and always have it together. You know what I mean? It's this space of like, okay, I'm going to keep moving and trucking and going and bushing. And then it produces this world that's not really satisfactory. And then you sign up for like all these coaching programs <laughs> on how to make more money because that's what it's like. I have to hold it together. I have to have more money. Right. And then you're still in those programs. Like not all, I'm not saying all those programs are bad or anything like that, but if you're not getting to that route, then you'll just find something else. You'll call something else in to continue to meet that until you regulate it yourself. And that's what I've seen in the patternings of my own experience of nervous system work on me. Like if I don't set a boundary as a coach in a program, then I will just call in another program that I coach in. And then I'll call some other situation in my life to have to set that boundary. Mm-hmm. We'll keep calling that in. Our soul will call that in until we learn how to regulate in that situation. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't mean you have to push yourself into a situation to learn. However, I do think that if I'm learning about boundaries and there's a workplace in which I want to be in, but the boundaries I'm instilling aren't working for me, I might want to stay in that environment and just see how can I play with being me just as I am and holding those. How do I allow that truth in that space? How do I release? And there's so much more to this that that you have to support yourself with. It's so funny that you say that because I could share a really tangible personal experience. I was in Byron Bay recently and I was staying in the villa with some friends and we needed to book the next couple of nights accommodation. And I like felt into myself and I said to myself, I don't want to stay in a villa with a group of people. I want to stay by myself. And then everyone was sitting around the table and said, let's all get a villa together. And in that moment, I thought, oh, I feel bad to speak up and be like, I don't really want to stay with you. I want to go by myself. So I didn't say anything. I booked a villa that fit everyone. I was like, yep, book the villa. The next day, everyone came around with COVID. Like four humans (laughs) came around with like severe COVID and spiritual woo-woo people that were like, I can blow Harpe out my nose and it will get rid of it. And I was just about to go on like a week and a half experience for my birthday that I was thinking to myself, you have severe symptoms. And if I get it, it's going to ruin my next week and a half. And it made me feel so angry in that moment. That was the thing that was like, I'm not staying with anyone. I want to be by myself away from these people. And I thought to myself, I called that experience in. I literally called those four people with severe COVID symptoms into my villa (laughs) for me to actually honor the feeling that I felt yesterday that I could have just said so politely at the table, hey fam, really enjoyed the past two days, but I'd love to get a villa on my own. Didn't do it. Universe next minute throws these people fueled with anger. I'm like, fuck everyone. 
I'm staying on my by myself. And afterwards, I was like, God was talking to me. So that is a beautiful example of the fit and fun. That's like the social nervous yeah. system, right? There's something deeper in you that was like, if I am the outlier, there's a way in which I'm not going to be accepted. I'm going to be rejected from the community. Like there was all of those voices were playing in, right? And so I had the same experience like a few weeks ago where I knew my sister was going to come visit for like three days at a community I'm part of wanted to hold a council on Zoom. And I was the only one who couldn't make the day that everyone else could make. And I was like, you know what? I'll figure it out. I'll be there. And then it was getting closer. I looked at my sister's trip and it turns out she was only coming for two days. And my sister lives in Montana and she's far away. I never get to see her. And it was like, no, I don't want to do this. And so my old self would have gotten on the call, been resentful and angry, and then been so on edge about if my sister's mad at me because I didn't make the time for her and feel guilty because I actually betrayed my own standard. I actually betrayed my own desire, my own truth. And Mm -hmm. it was my nervous system, right? Like that wanted to make sure that the community didn't ostracize me. And that all comes from things that are from my childhood that I never worked or or never met. And so Mm -hmm. again, because I didn't meet them in my childhood, here was this opportunity. So this time I wrote to them and said, hey, I realize that when I said yes to this, I was appeasing and I'm catching that. And I actually am really aligned with being with my sister and not being interrupted. And yeah, I love you all. And I hope you have a great call. I didn't apologize. I just stood in my truth. And of course, everyone was cool with it, which is funny because it's like we think that, you know, our egos are saving us from doomsday of like, you better fit in or you're out. You're dying if you don't fit in. You're dead. <laughs> you're out of here. You forget about it. Your reputation. <laughs> what would you say to the woman who is like, I can't honor myself because it's selfish. Like if I don't show up for my friends, I'm being selfish. If I was Beck not staying in that villa with her friends and just choosing herself selfish. What would you say to that woman where the program is self-honor? Oh, man, I'd want to get my hands all over that woman's soul. <laughs> and I would probably want to ask her like mm-hmm. about her mother. Honestly, I would want to know what her modeling was for service and sacrifice. And I would really be curious about if her mother or even her father regulated themselves through being of service or being the martyr because the martyr syndrome is a very interesting part of the nervous system. It's like, I am going to make this big overture, but then I'm going to be resentful and then I'm going to be, you know, but the selfish thing, oh man, that I feel like that really just comes from like basic learned behaviors from childhood. It's, I really feel like that's the modeling space. And that's the first question I'd say, like, how was your mom with that? Was she a really big person who was always helping? And like, that's how she found her identity? Because my mom's a big helper. And she used to get very resentful. But I'm like, you're choosing this, you're choosing this. <laughs> and a beautiful awareness, right? Still choosing it now. But it, it supported her. And we can decide to change it at any point. Yeah. It's just going to take time. <laughs> at least nine months. Yeah, exactly. A lot of that space, though, comes from the desire to actually create chaos. Like, there's a way in which, for me, for example, right, like, I love to be in control. So creating chaos really behooves me in my life. Like, I can wake up in a bad mood and create a lot of story and a lot of meaning about why I'm waking up this way, because that gives me something to control. It gives me something that I want to be certain about. Mm. And then if I can be certain about it, there's my power. 
So if someone's saying they're being selfish by doing that, I would right away be like, wow, they probably find their power through service and they probably don't have boundaries in that service. And and boundaries are really scary to set if you don't have a regulated nervous system. If you're very dysregulated in your nervous system, it is very difficult specifically for women, which is why boundaries is like a third of my course. Why, Carrie? Tell us why. Oh, because women are not taught to hold their boundaries well. They're not taught to do that. They are taught to appease. We really are taught to appease and make it all okay and be available. And it's just such a part of our ethos. And we can make ourselves feel so crappy, so shitty for holding a boundary. It can be the scariest place. I mean, even saying no to that phone call for me, I was like, oh my God, everyone's going to be so mad at me, but I have to hold this boundary because what is true for me is like, I have to spend this time with my sister. I never see her. And I will be so angry with myself after. I know that this is my truth. And so there's like a conditioning we have of like, if I were to say to you, hey, Beck, you're so amazing. I think I would just love to take you on. I usually charge like 20K for my clients, but I'm just going to take you on for like 2K for nine months. How would you feel about that? Well, (laughs) number one, I'd be like, that's a fucking steal. I'm in. (laughs) And number two, my truth is I'm not taking anything else on right now. Okay, but internally though, like for me to go that low on an investment that I usually have a totally different energetic exchange, how would it feel for you to receive that? I think I would probably, knowing you, be curious why. Okay. Just like something feels misaligned for someone that I look up to so much to drop her price so incredibly. So I think that I would be met with a lot of confusion. Okay, beautiful. So in that confusion, there's like a little piece, right, of like distrust, right? Just a little bit. Yeah, there's distrust, but then there's also my father. Okay, I'm hearing that. There's also my father's voice being like, usually 20 grand, now two. I know we thought maybe we would work with Carrie in 2023, but it's $2,000 right now. So there is the confusion and distrust. And then there's also my dad's voice, like very loud. Yeah. What he would say is, go do it now kind of thing. Well, yeah, it's usually 20 grand. Right now it's two. Get the deal. Yeah. Yeah. So it's so funny, right? There's all these different voices that will come in on things like this. And one of them might be for somebody. Let's say, I'll take a different example. Someone might be like, well, what do I have to do in return to make up for the 18 though? What's that about? Right. And that piece, it's so uncomfortable. Yet, like most women wouldn't say that. They would say, oh, well, that's a really beautiful offer. But can you tell me more about why you would want to give me that discount? And then I would say what I say. Oh, well, just you're so wonderful. And I know you and... You're just a dream client. I would just want to help you. Just get in there. A lot of people's nervous systems would be like, what's going on? Because it'd be like, what do I have to do in return? And that is such a like repetitive story for women. And like, I can't receive that unless I'm doing something in return. Mm -hmm. And so instead of just saying like, hey, that feels really suspicious to me because it seems very low and it makes me feel really uncomfortable. Like most women will not say that. And that's actually a boundary. Like, I know that doesn't really fit into what we call boundaries, but speaking that is a boundary. Mm -hmm. I feel uncomfortable because this is so much less of an investment and it makes me feel like I have to do something in return. And because we are so wired for that fit in or fawn, we don't actually allow ourselves to say those questions. And those questions are actually boundaries. And almost like any of those questions could potentially be perceived as offensive to you. Right. I'm not saying that they are, but this is a massive generalization, but I feel for the kind of client that I call into my world, who's very scared of telling people no, and very also equally scared of people saying no to them, finding it very offensive. Like if Carrie was to say, hey, babe, $2,000, nine months, let's go, that it would be like, hey, Carrie, 
I feel knowing that I know you now and even more that should create a deeper sense of being able to be transparent and honest, but almost like, Carrie, I do really respect you, but I feel almost a little bit confused and an element of distrust. I'm confused. What's happening here for you to offer me that amount that my ego could say, I'm offending this woman that I really respect. Exactly. She's just offered me this great gift. I'm now being offensive to her. Maybe she won't like me. Maybe Carrie won't want to be my friend anymore. Maybe Carrie will never send me a Marco Polo again. Maybe she'll ask me not to upload the podcast. How will I get rejected in this scenario by Carrie from speaking my truth? But by speaking, it would actually clear the space so that I could either say yes or no in integrity to the offer that you've brought forward to me. Right. And then what if I did get offended? Yeah, exactly. Then what? Wow. I can't believe you just asked me that. I'm giving you this deal and you're like totally throwing it back in my face. Like you're not trusting me. You know, like, would you be like, okay, yeah, don't think I want to work with you. (laughs) Got some issues happening. And then you're like, dodge the bullet. But you know what it does though? And this is what we don't realize as women, which is really hard because we're not trained like this, is that it actually empowers the other person so much to feel freedom. It actually like, you know, like, wow, I know where you stand. Thank you for your clarity. Like how many times you say something honest and someone's like, wow, thanks for being so honest. Mm -hmm. Like it's like not the normal thing, right? (laughs) Because our social nervous systems are always organizing around something. And they're always organizing around like, oh my God, please don't hate me, Carrie. I'm their fangirl, right? Or something, you know, it's like so interesting. And I hate to bring it back to the herpes virus, but that was one of the things that really stemmed my journey. And that was the thing that my nervous system would freak out about thinking about telling anyone. And when I would, well, why do you hate to bring it back to that just as a question? Just because I feel like it always comes back to that all the time, but it's just such a focal point for my life. And the thing to really create resonance and relevance to what you just said, the thing that people would say was, thank you for being so honest mm-hmm. with me. Yeah, it was always the response. My nervous system was having a full meltdown every single time, almost like in comparison to jumping headfirst from a bungee, the same pumping heart in my chest, shaking hands, sweating, voice crack, change of voice, the same physical response and the same response from the human in front of me. Thank you for being so honest and transparent with me. Yeah, exactly. But it takes courage. Like you built a program where you built the body to actually talk about that, right? Like Mm -hmm. you had people supporting you and helping you through all of the things that were really like building those fears for you. And so you got to that point. But I experienced the same thing when I work with mothers. Like I would say the most taboo stuff, like, man, I really hate my children today. <laughs> or I would say like, I feel like I was raped when I had a C-section. And and I had mothers who got very triggered when I said that. They're like, I had a C-section. It was actually an amazing experience. And it was just interesting how they had to defend their experience in order for mine, for theirs to be valid and not, you know what I'm saying? It's like, we all have these protectors that either come in and judge or victimize judge. And so when the judge comes forward from the women who were like, I actually had a great experience, it made me feel like, wow, that kind of hurt because I'm not saying that you shouldn't have had a great experience. I'm just being real about what mine was. And it was because I wasn't feeling their like protector coming through. I was feeling their judge. I was feeling that judge come through of like, well, that was a, my experience. Like, I'm going to defend what I think is true. And it's not that they shouldn't, but it's just interesting where those things come from, you know? And it could be coming from the space. It could have been, and here's what's funny. It could have been coming from the space of they were just saying their truth. And then I was feeling defensive. (laughs) I was feeling like, oh, they're saying something opposite to what I'm saying, you know, like, so it's just really interesting how it goes back and forth. And for any woman who shares in the similar thoughts, feelings, and or experience that you had around your C-section, what would you say to that woman? What if they shared the experience I had? Yeah. Well, you know what the most interesting thing was that I found out about my birth trauma? 
because that's how I've held it for so long. First of all, I would say whatever you felt was real Mm -hmm. and it was valid. Mm -hmm. Like whatever your experience was, that's what it was. And it's beautiful, whatever it is. Um, So full allowance. And then the thing that I found out about my birth trauma when I met my mentor was I said like, oh, you know, my birth trauma, my birth trauma, my birth trauma. I talk about all the time. And she said, what if that wasn't a trauma? And I stopped dead in my heels and I was like, what? <laughs> like, no, don't you take my trauma away from me, lady. <laughs> and she was like, well, what if you were so used to being in full control of your life and to that point, you could kind of be in the illusion that you were managing that you were living in a life of illusion that control was actually working for you. And so when you had the birth that went totally opposite than what you thought and you met motherhood, which was totally like a loss of control, full on, like you got to throw that out the window. It was so overwhelming for you that your whole entire body just couldn't, it was overloaded by that. Like, what if this was the experience that met that control? And I was just like, oh my God, no one had ever explained it to me like that. And nothing had ever made more sense in my life. And that's why I love this work, because instead of dramatizing our traumas, not that some of them are not horrific. I've worked with women who've had really intense traumas and not that they're right or any of that stuff. But it's interesting how they show up to meet. And sometimes it's intergenerational trauma. It's not even theirs to me, you know, because I've had three-year-old sexual trauma experiences with women, right? Like, but something is coming in to meet something that's unfulfilled. And so it's just meeting it. And it's just this process of constantly just meeting it, meeting the emotions, meeting the experience, meeting the places we haven't excavated or allowed to be seen and allowing those places to come alive and to like light up those caverns in the dark. It's really powerful work. And so, yeah, I feel like it's going to take a lifetime for me to actually be the mastery of this work. I feel like a little baby right now. But I do know that the work I'm doing with women now has been more potent and more, oh, I don't know. I don't feel like I'm running over their systems anymore. I feel like I'm actually meeting them. You are a life-changing woman, Carrie Azuma. You really are. Oh, thank you, Beck. So I'm super conscious of your time, especially considering our two tech glitches that we had in the dinner party that you've got to go to. Oh my God, I didn't even realize the time. So my final question that I always love to wrap up with is the podcast is called Raw, Real and Vulnerable with Beck Antonucci. And I'm really curious, Carrie, what it means uniquely for you in your life to be raw, real and vulnerable. What a good question. Mm, I guess it comes back to what we just talked about. It's how deeply can I live in what's actually my truth and how much could I continue excavating that truth and what the realness is of my soul. And it's one of the scariest walks and one of the most profound I've had so far. So I would say living in my truth, man, just all day long, living in my truth. And I used to think I lived in my truth. <laughs> no. <laughs> now I'm really practicing that. And it is, woo! Yeah, it's crazy. Sometimes I have days where I'm like, I'm all alone. Because everyone's going to go away because I'm so in my truth. And then it's like, oh, wait, it's not true. <laughs> I'll still be here, Carrie, I promise. Oh, thanks, Bexy. I got one anchor over here for my life to change. And still know someone's still standing. <laughs> oh, my God, you're so amazing. It has been incredible sharing my morning with you. For anyone who would love to have a piece of the Carrie Azuma world and enter your space, where can they find you? Instagram is really my hub. Mm -hmm. I would go to Instagram. On my link tree, I have a link to my newsletter. 
Mm-hmm. And I would encourage anyone who wants to just be more educated and filled up with nervous system things to sign up for that. Yeah, I wish I had some big offer right now that I could throw out to people. But the only thing I'm offering right now is you got to wait nine months, fam. You got to wait nine months. No, I actually have one space open for a one on one client. But again, it's a journey. So you got to be ready for it. But it's the most profound amazing. So good. And I do a lot of work in person with my one-on-ones because the body is the place you start with the nervous system. So it's got to be in person for some of it. So good. I will put that all in the show notes. My love, you're amazing. You're amazing. You're amazing. I hope you have the most incredible dinner party. Thank you. I love you. Thanks for tuning into today's episode. If you're desiring more from me right now, firstly, I love your eagerness. And secondly, let's make it happen. Check out the link in my show notes where you can receive more information on my books, breakthroughs, online webinars, all upcoming courses and programs, and how you can get started on your journey within my world today. I can't wait to be back in your ears next week. And trust me, you won't want to miss this episode.